Good morning. And for those joining us online, good morning as well. Or if you're watching some point in the evening of the coming days, good evening to you as well. Love for you to take your Bibles now and turn with me to Psalm 119. We've been in the Psalms since 2021, making our way up now to Psalm 119. And last week, as well as today, we're involved in investing some time in the 119th Psalm. And as we said last week, and we're saying it again today, this psalm is divided into 22 sections. 22 sections, each of which begins with a Hebrew letter. In other words, this psalm is organized by, according to the Hebrew alphabet, and you make your way section by section, eight verses per section until you get to the end, which sets you up rather naturally then for what would follow, which we'll get to after Easter, where you begin what are known as the uh, Songs of Ascent. In other words, in Psalm 119, the Hebrews, the Jews, were exiled. They were in Babylon. And now what we find is that beginning with Psalm 120 and on, you have what are known as the Songs of Ascent, where they make their way not so much geographically upward, but topographically upward, they make their way toward Jerusalem. That's why they're known as the Songs of Ascent. We'll get there at some point after, after Easter. Next Sunday, we'll pause, Palm Sunday, turn to the book of Revelation, uh, enter into Revelation 7, where you will find this throng of people gathered around the throne. What are they doing? With palm branches in their hands, they're worshiping their risen Savior. Interesting. And then Easter Sunday, John has shared with you, invite a friend, sit with them, make them feel at home. We'll open up the passage of Scripture. We'll open up our minds to what it is that God wants to teach us. Well, as you can see, as you're looking at the screen, is that there is not only the anglicized word for the letter uh, in the Hebrew alphabet, but also furthermore, there is the Hebrew letter as well. It's nun. And if you look at your Bible, you will find most likely, beginning with 105 down through 112, it's under the caption of the Hebrew word nun. I'd like to begin reading in 105, take it to 112, and we'll look to our Lord in prayer. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my, in, uh, my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. 
I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. And our Father, as we've made our way through the Psalms, we're thankful, Father, for the way in which you have provided insight and direction. Taken our time, investing in truth, knowing that truth provides a sense of perspective, a sense of direction for our lives. We value it. And it's in your word that you revealed how Jesus Christ entered into this world. We're sinful by nature. Christ came to die for our sins. The sinless one dying for the sinful ones. You teach us that when we put our faith and trust exclusively in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we're freed from the penalty of sin. He took it for us. And someday we'll be freed from the presence of sin when we're face to face with you. Thanking you that Don is with you now. Thanking you that Eugene is with you now. Thanking you that David is with you now. Our loss, heaven's gain, each has provided a legacy, powerful ministry, and they would want your word to be taught. This is what we will do. Warm our hearts. Engage our minds. Shape our wills. So again, now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. And we're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. The biographer tells us that when David Livingston was making his trek across Africa, he had 70 books with him, three packs, and they were weighing roughly 180 pounds. But after having gone 300 miles, he knew that he had to start discarding some of the baggage that he was carrying. Uh, slowly but surely, book by book, along the way, his library was lessened until he had but one book left. It was his Bible. When you reach that point in his biography, you come to grips with the fact that you and I, on the journey of life, have got to be able to distinguish between what I will call what is essential and what is additional. Between what is primary and what is secondary. We live in a culture that is trying to carry excessive baggage because they treat everything as primary, treating everything as essential, and then wonder, why am I being weighed down by the difficulties of life. But the wise believer understands that during the course of life's journey, we begin to make such distinctions. We begin to distinguish between what's essential and what's additional, 
between what is primary and what is secondary. And as you make your way across life's journey, moving towards your destination, you realize that the evidence of faith in Christ is our faithfulness to Christ. Let me say that again. That on life's journey, the evidence of our faith in Christ is our faithfulness to Christ. So whether you're watching online right now, for those in the prior service who had to process these thoughts, for those now in this service as well, begin to look very carefully at what you're carrying on this journey we call life. Begin to make some distinctions between what is a sideshow and what is additional, between what's primary and what's secondary. Always asking yourself, why am I being weighed down? And what is necessary in order to develop a sense of forward movement towards what it is that God is calling me to do. For the evidence of faith in Christ is faithfulness to Christ. And these eight verses equip us to be able to develop that faithfulness. I want to draw out four significant observations now in Psalm 119.105 down to verse 112. And the first will come out of verse 105 alone, that number one, as you and I, as we apply God's word to our lives, I want to begin here by noting with you the paths that God's word illuminates. The paths that God's word illuminates. Notice how this begins. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Two significant images begin to emerge in this one verse. Notice the idea of the lamp as it relates to the feet, and then the light as it relates to the path. Notice it begins your word, not my word. Because what God is doing for you and for me is to be able to say, if you're going to distinguish well on this journey, if you're going to begin to remove the clutter of life that can crowd the thought processes of life, you're going to have to make distinctions between the essentials and the additionals. Begin with the fact that it is God's word, not human opinion, that needs to be your starting point, because your starting point will shape your ending point. And when you begin with God's word, you establish not only a sense of direction for your life, but you're able then to spot the destination of your life. It's your word, not my opinion, that gets me out of the starting block. And so we are told it's your word, and you'll notice in your insert, I've identified seven, if not eight, different synonyms for the whole idea of what it means to be talking about the word of God. Last week, we pondered the whole idea of Torah. Uh, it is the first five books of the Older Testament. 
And notice that Torah comes from a root word that carries with it the idea to provide guidance, to offer direction. Now, the Israelites are in Babylon, and they're going to make their way back to Israel. And on this journey along the way, they're going to need direction. They're going to need guidance, but then so do you and so do I. What we find is that he is now using extraordinary imagery to help us understand the direction we need and the clarity of life that's required. Your word is a lamp to my feet. When I see that word lamp, now remember again, the the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word here for lamp dealt with a little clay dish containing oil. And so you would light this, but it wouldn't shed light out over the vast terrain, mile upon mile. No. Rather, it only allows you, in essence, to see what's right there at your feet. And that's so much of what life is about, isn't it? God reveals enough to make our faith intelligent. God conceals enough to allow our faith to grow. And now what he is saying is for all those who are making their way through the darkness of light, let the lamp guide you along the way. Now, let's say you and I, we're making our way through the twisting roads of the countryside. It's about 11.30 at night and it's dark outside. Let me ask you a question. Why on earth would you turn off the headlights? Why join the rest of society of trying to make your way in the dark? God has already, by his grace, given you the key. It's our responsibility to make certain that we're managing the light. And so we don't turn off the headlights as we make our way across life's journey. No, with the twists and the turns that come with the roads of the countryside, no, we need, we need to go high beam to be able to find our way. Now, what God is saying here, in essence, is that in the darkness of the travels of life, in the journeys that you and I are on, We desperately need, out of the inspiration that comes from God's word, the illumination that's provided by God's word, you see. The writers were inspired by God. The readers are illuminated by God. And so the result is now we've got just enough light to be able to carry on, keeping on, keeping on your word and he utilizes a particular lamp that could only shed so much light, basically, perhaps one step forward. The readership would understand that because they would be making their way back to Israel, Jerusalem in particular, to my feet. It's a light, you see, illumination to my path. Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall was the chaplain of the Senate back in the 1950s, and furthermore, he was a Scotsman. And as a Scotsman, he 
He knew what it was like to have to take a lantern and make your way through the darkness in Great Britain. He told a story in the Senate to the senators about illustrating the idea of truth as it relates to life, the scriptures, of a particular traveler making his way across the mountains in Wales on a stormy night. Uh, Dr. Marshall tells us that as the moon shone dimly through the clouds, He thought he could trace his way without his lantern, and so he put the lantern under his cloak to protect his hands from the biting wind. When suddenly, suddenly a gust of wind blew open his coat, and as the light shone forth, it revealed the edge of a large quarry into which just one more step he would have fallen and been dashed to pieces. Peter Marshall looking at the senators as he went into prayer simply said never again would he hide his lantern inside his cloak. What about us? So God has revealed enough to make our faith intelligent. God has concealed enough to allow our faith to grow. And with the inspiration of God's word comes the illumination from God's word in order to take this journey, this journey that you and I know as life itself. And so it's extraordinarily important to be able to take the application here and apply it to where we're at. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, but paths are meant to be walked. Find a loved one. You walk down that path, and you're processing life as you go along the way. As we apply God's word to our lives, we note the paths that God's word illuminates. Well, we need to get a sense of that lamp, don't we? And so there on the screen, what you've got is Torah, and with Torah, you've got the lamp. And what we find is the merger, you see, of these ideas. And now with inspiration comes illumination. And you're meant to travel, but in this fallen world, we're traveling in darkness. You're going to desperately need to make absolutely certain the path is being illuminated by God's word, not by human opinion. So now, there's you, there you have out of 105, that as we apply God's word to our lives, you note the paths that God's word illuminates, so we're not surprised that the word Torah comes from a root word that carries with the idea of guidance, direction. So in a directionally challenged culture, we turn to the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. John 14, verse 6. The one who would then furthermore say in the book of John, I am the light of the world. And we allow this one who offers us a singular approach, an exclusive approach to God, to come into his presence with full illumination that comes from his word. Now, there's a second observation now, and it comes out of verses 106 through 108. As we apply God's word to our lives, we've not only then note the paths that God's word illuminates, 
But secondly, now the perspectives that God's word develops. So when you're trying to develop insight for life, perspective on life, let what begins to unfold next impact your thinking. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. And so now he is now pondering perhaps the way in which he has devoted his life to the Messiah in this case, the Messiah who is to come, in our case, the Messiah who came. We know him as Jesus Christ. And so in the Older Testament, they were anticipating the one to come. Uh, subsequent to all of that, we look back upon the one who came, and the meeting point, the convergence point, is the cross of Jesus Christ, where Lord willing, you have put your faith and trust. You have devoted yourself. Uh, you have confessed with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You're saved by grace and grace alone. He says, I have I've sworn an oath. This is the promise made. But now notice it goes on to say here, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. You would say then, okay, life should be getting easier. He's made such a commitment. <laughs> Notice what it says next. It doesn't say, I was severely afflicted. Nope, it's present tense. It says, I am severely afflicted. And so for all those who are struggling with where are you, God, in the midst of the challenges and the difficulties of life itself, we need some perspective. Warren Wearsby, my former pastor, in his book, Why Us? Here are some thoughts to bear in mind. When you are experiencing the losses of life, which we've experienced over these days. Here's some thoughts from this extraordinarily wise pastor slash professor. In the midst of affliction, we must live. And furthermore, in the midst of affliction, we must live for others. And furthermore, in the midst of affliction, we must live for the Lord who bore affliction for us. For he goes on to say, the resources for creative suffering are available to us. All of nature depends on hidden resources, and so must we. Human history sparkles with the testimonies of people who could have been victims, but who decided to be victors. Although the world is full of suffering, wrote Helen Keller, it's also full of overcoming it. For you see, affliction, suffering, will either be your master or your servant, depending upon how you handle the crises of your life. More thoughts. What's more important in the midst of affliction than an explanation for our suffering 
is our relationship to God in the midst of our suffering. You nor I will get answers to the whys of life this side of heaven. What we need more so than the issue of why is the matter of who. We're on that cross, the one who would capitalize with the W-H-O, Jesus Christ. We cry out on our behalf, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting from Psalm 22, and he was using scripture, Psalm 22, Torah, in the midst of his affliction to provide guidance as he made his way through one statement after another on the cross, dying for you and dying for me. For God's purposes are often hidden from us, and he offers, shall I say, he owes us no explanation, but we owe him our complete love. But in the midst of our hurt, our pain, our loss, our suffering, bear in mind that God's people still have access to God. Job cried out for an arbitrator to bring him and God together. And that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross when the apostle, when Paul would say, for there is one God, one mediator, between God and men, the man Christ, Jesus. For we might put it this way, God has not promised to make us comfortable in life, but he has determined to make us conformable to God and his will through life, you see. And so, lo and behold, he's made this promise. I, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. You would think then it would get easier. Lo and behold, next verse, it gets harder. I am severely, not merely afflicted, I am severely afflicted. It's a very intensive word in the Hebrew language. So what does he do? Cries out at this point. Give me life, O Lord. But he's not far from the Scriptures. According to, not my opinion, not cultural perspectives, according to your word. And so though far removed at this point still, the Israelites are having been swept into Babylon and they lack the offerings that would be given in the temple on their behalf. He says, I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm going to offer. I'm going to make, I'm going to provide a free will offering. And notice it is a free will offering of praise to the Lord in 108 after saying, I am severely afflicted in 107. Are you capturing the sequence and the brilliance of this? As the psalmist is allowing for you and me to understand this extraordinary experience that we are to be able to manage well on this journey that you and I call 
life, Augustine had to do this. We're going through a time in which God was bringing Augustine to his knees. Augustine would cry out in his, his classic, the, the Confessions, Oh Lord, how long? You ever ask that question of God? How long? And he had a broken heart before God, experiencing loss in life. When we are told, all at once I heard a child's voice. And it seemed to come from a nearby house, using classical language, whether the voice of a boy or girl I did not know. And the child's voice kept repeating the same words, take up and read. Take up and read. Augustine tells us that all at once my mood changed and I began to search for what it was that I was to take up and read. He turns to his buddy Alepius and lo and behold, what does Alepius have? The scriptures. And so Augustine tells us uh, that he grabbed the Bible, opened it up to the first book that he could get to and it was Good choice. Romans. Took me two years on Sunday mornings to get through Romans with everybody. Of course, it seems like it always takes me two years to get through anything on Sunday mornings around here. And he, he read the first words that, that would be found, and, and it stirred his heart at this point. And he tells us that when I finished reading, when I finished reading, it seemed as though light broke in upon me. And when I read that, I knew that here was a man who understood the inspiration of the Scriptures. He was a man who embraced the illumination that comes from the Scriptures. And that should be the same for us as well. And right now, if, you're, if your journey seems dark, and if the path is such that it seems as though it's the midnight hour of the soul, you need the lamp. You need the light. It might only shed light upon one step at a time. Just hold out the lamp, keep following the way you would hold out. You would turn on the high beams on that countryside road or on the midnight hour. Follow the high beams. You'll get to where you need to go. It's a process. You'll get there by God's grace. You're looking at the profound wisdom that's found here. The paths that God's Word illuminates, 105. Perspectives that God's Word develops, 106 through 108. But thirdly, he's just so honest with you and me, isn't he? Thirdly, look at the vulnerabilities that God's Word addresses because when we are on life's journey, there are going to be times when you and I find ourselves extraordinarily vulnerable. Except where you're at. Check out 109 and 110. I hold my life in my hand continually. 
but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. And so here now is a man who is saying, now, when it comes to life, the shortness of life, the brevity of life, the uncertainties of life, I come to grips with the fact there are times in life where maybe it's just sheer exhaustion. I'm vulnerable. And I need for God's word to speak. But not only in the realm of the physical, but also relational. Look at 110. If 109 deals with the physical dimensions of life, 110 deals with the relational, and they're not always the best, are they? Because he says, and as he's in this Babylonian culture, maybe there's extraordinary pushback against his faith in Messiah, in his case, to come, in our case, the Messiah who came. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. This came out of National Geographic, where a former park ranger at Yellowstone National tells the story of a ranger who was leading a group of hikers to a fire lookout. The ranger was so intent on explaining the ecological setting that he, he turned off his phone. And nearing the tower, the ranger was met by a, a breathless lookout who asked why he hadn't responded to all the various messages that were being sent to him. And then he found out a grizzly bear had been stalking the group and the authorities were trying to warn them of the danger. Now God, in essence, through his word, is texting you on your journey. Don't disregard what he's saying. Look into his word. I hold my life in my hand continually. I do not forget your law. You analyze the word, you memorize the word, you remember what's said. Now, my memory is what I use to forget things with, to be honest with you. But the challenge is this, that you and I have got to take God's word, apply it to life, and because maybe, maybe what you're memorizing today doesn't relate to today, but it could very well relate to your tomorrow. Because where you're at today is going to be different from where you're at tomorrow. So now take <coughs> the reservoir of truth that you have applied to life and then bring it out when you need it somewhere along the way in strategic moments that you're facing. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but you're not surprised because you know that's exactly what Jesus Christ faced. And yet he would maintain faithfulness along the way. So I do not stray from your, from your precepts, he writes. Well, you're on now, aren't you? You're on to the final and the fourth of these observations. That is, you and I, as we apply God's word to our lives. Fourthly, note the heart that God's word shapes. And in verses 111 and 112, the heart is mentioned in each of the verses, and I want you to see how all of this fits together. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. 
Now, in the midst of his afflictions, he's able to say, they are the joy of my heart. He's not saying that this journey is enjoyable. What he is saying, though, that your testimonies are joy for me, you see. So you press now joy into the less than enjoyable on this journey. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. So now, what does he do? He takes responsibility. I incline my heart. It carries with the idea of a deliberate choice. I incline my heart to perform your statutes. How long? Forever. To the end. Those of you that have lived at any time or any point in Florida know the whole challenges of sinkholes. A writer pens these thoughts. Recently, the residents of a Florida apartment building awoke to a terrifying sight outside their windows. The ground beneath the street in front of their building had literally collapsed creating a massive depression that Floridians call a sinkhole. Tumbling into the ever-deepening pit were automobiles, pavement, the sidewalks, lawn furniture, and the building itself would obviously be the next to go. Now the insight. Sinkholes occur, scientists say, when underground streams drain away during seasons of drought, causing the ground at the surface to lose its underlying support, suddenly everything simply caves in, leaving people with a frightening suspicion that nothing, even the earth beneath their feet, is trustworthy. And I thought about the human heart. Because everything can look good at the surface. But if there is what we might call the drying of the streams beneath the surface, all of a sudden now, life loses what we might call its underlying support system, and then everything caves in because the heart has not been sufficiently saturated with God's word, with truth. And so we are living in a culture of what we might call the sinkhole syndrome, when what they need is solid ground, which is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I end this little mini-study of Psalm 119 with some thoughts from Daniel Webster, who was lecturing at Dartmouth. And Daniel Webster laid his hand on a copy of the scriptures in front of the student body, and he said, this is the book. I have read through the entire Bible many times. I make it a practice to go through it once a year. It's the book of all others, for me as a lawyer, as well as students and professors. And I pity the man or woman who cannot find in it a rich supply of thought, 
and guidance for life. It fits us for life. It prepares us for death. And then leaning forward said, and introduces us to Jesus. Let's stand together. Thank you that Jesus was willing to take the journey. Thank you that he was willing to enter into Bethlehem. Thank you that he took some disciples, losing one along the way as he made his way to the cross. Thank you that he died for our sins. Thank you that three days later he was raised from the grave. Thank you that he ascended and is now seated at the right hand of the sovereign. And thank you that someday he will return and put all things in order. Until then, we might be prone to say, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. But nonetheless, we are also going to say, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. And we praise you, Lord, because whether it be the beginning or the end, you're there and you guide us on this path of life for which we give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.